everybody, and welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Uh, this is your host, as always, Carrie Parker, and I've got another great show for you this week. Lots of little tidbits to catch you up on in the news, uh, along, of course, with things you can do to mitigate those problems. Nary a week goes by when we don't have multiple things to talk about, unfortunately, and that's just kind of the state of where things are today. But that's why you have me. So let's dive into it. We're going to talk a little bit about a new WhatsApp and Signal hack with a kind of a funky name called Dark Caracal. I think I pronounced that correctly. I don't know where they get these names, but that sounds rather foreboding. That's probably the point. Uh, There's also a new Netflix phishing hack. We'll talk about that. There's a new Mac malware on the scene that does some DNS hijacking. I'll tell you what that's about. Uh, And there's yet another Intel chip bug that was discovered. uh, Well, actually just announced. It was discovered last year, but just announced uh, that can allow uh, a hacker to get into your computer in under 30 seconds. We'll talk about that. Uh, Then we're going to talk about uh, two-factor authentication in a study by Google done recently that shows that only 10% of their people are using it. So we're going to talk about that, and then we'll dive into our tip of the week. All right. First up, uh, there's been a... Uh, announcement by the EFF and a company called Lookout um, that have uncovered a very sophisticated surveillance malware uh, that is affecting the WhatsApp and Signal apps. And I'll tell you in a minute why uh, they're still good, but um, called Dark Caracal, and that's C-A-R-A-C-A-L. I'm just guessing how that's pronounced. I really don't know. Um, So there's as EFS said, there's some good news and bad news here. Um, uh, the good news is, is the apps themselves, WhatsApp and Signal, haven't actually not been hacked. They're still good. Uh, the trick is to make sure you get the right apps. Uh, so this dark caracal um, is a uh, multi-country uh, malware and espionage campaign. It's very, looks very much like a state actor. Um, it's affecting thousands of people, which honestly is not that many, but what that says is it's probably very highly targeted. Um, and so what these guys, what the, what this, um, whoever's behind this, what they're doing, uh, is they're doing what they call spear phishing. So phishing is when you try to trick people into going to websites and entering information, going to fake websites uh, and, and entering information like, you know, login ID and credit card info, info, whatever those are, you get a lot of spam emails. And in fact, we're going to be talking about one here for Netflix in a second. And this is kind of a broad spectrum shotgun approach where they just send it to as many people as possible and try to fool as many people as possible. Spear phishing, which is the name kind of implies, is it's very targeted. Um, so this is there is somebody, some organization or some person out there who specifically wants to target certain people. And so they go to great lengths to try to get those specific people to download and install uh, malware. Um, or go uh, or to get their information. That's a spear phishing attack. So, you know, the, this this dark caracal uh, apparently is highly highly targeted, um, and it looks like they're going after military personnel, uh, enterprises, medical professionals, lawyers, journalists, educational institutions, and activists. So it looks very much like a state sponsored kind of a thing. Um, so they have tricked these people or to to go into like a fake Google play store, like a a, a redirected them to a website that looks like Google play, but is not. And, and, and had them download WhatsApp or signal from those websites. Now website WhatsApp and signal are supposed to be these super secure communications apps. And they are, the actual apps are They're They have the actual applications, WhatsApp and, um, 
signal have not been compromised, uh, at least not in this attack. Uh, so they're still good. Um, but the, the trick is they're trying to, so whoever has these apps, most people don't use them. Well, I guess WhatsApp is actually very popular. Um, uh, but a lot of people pick those particular apps because they want to have secure communications. And so um, those would be the logical applications you want to hack if you want to target people who are trying to talk secretly. So whoever this organization is or whoever this is, has, has either somehow managed to get a hold of these people's devices, um, you know, physical, have physical access to them and install these bad apps, or they somehow got them to redirect to uh, fake websites to download malicious versions of these apps that have been, I don't know, hacked, or maybe they've, in, uh, they, the installers for these apps also install malware alongside them. Um, but and because it's so targeted, even though it's uh, it seems to have affected people in over 20 different countries, uh, it does seem to be state-sponsored. It's going after very specific individuals. Um, so the good news here is that you know most of you in the audience are probably not affected at all. If you've got these apps, they're totally fine. If you got them from the right, if you got them from the legitimate store, and of course, if you're on Apple, it's almost impossible to do otherwise. You pretty much have to go to the Apple Store to buy apps. Um, Android, of course, is a little trickier. You can there's lots of ways around it on Android, and that's where a lot of people on Android phones get in trouble, uh, as they somehow download the the wrong app or uh, from a shady website. They'll download an app that's not approved uh, by the regular Google, Google Play Store. Uh, of course, you can always quote unquote sideload Android apps, and you can root your Android phone and install whatever you want, and that's really when you start getting into trouble. So the takeaway for most of the audience here is that these things are happening. Uh, there are you know, highly motivated, you know, advanced persistent threats, APTs, as we call them, um, that are actively targeting certain individuals uh, with these applications. And you got to be careful. Um, you know, if you're certainly if you're for some reason, if you're a journalist or an activist or somebody who might be targeted by these kind of things, you got to, you know, you've probably already been trained in this, but you got to keep your, you know, your phone with you at all times. Don't let it go unguarded. Make sure that you're you know, viewing your emails very carefully and you're going to the right websites to get your apps and all that kind of stuff. So uh, this is more of a news item for most of you um, and hopefully it doesn't affect any of you. I would still highly recommend Signal uh, as a great app. You should, honestly, I think we should just all start using it. Um, it's it's better than any other messaging app out there in terms of privacy. It, you can do it on any platform, including on Mac and Windows, so that you can you can actually send messages to people on mobile phones from your desktop and your laptop. Uh, I use it; it's great. So anyway, don't let that dissuade you from using those apps. Just when you do it, make sure you go to the right places to download them. All right, next up, let's talk about another phishing attack. This one is for Netflix. Uh, these things are happening all the time. I'm sure you've seen some of them, and you're getting to the point now where when you get those fishy emails, you're kind of recognizing, yeah, it doesn't look right. Uh, but let's talk about it anyway, because it's still happening. And uh, some of these things, some sometimes they'll get you, even the best of us. They look really good. They look very convincing. Uh, and we're not thinking about it, and we jump on them anyway. So um, as a cautionary tale, let's talk about another one that's going around right now for Netflix. Um, first off, so as most of these things are, you get some email that looks kind of official from Netflix or Amazon or eBay or PayPal or uh, your bank, um, or, or some government site or something, you know, threatening or the IRS. Uh, and they say, sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. Sometimes they say, oh, you've been elected to win something or whatever. Click here. And sometimes it's, oh, there's a problem with your account or, uh, something like that. So click here to fix that. That's actually the more common one. And in this case, it's like, it's like that. 
Um, and the website says, you know, you need to click here to fix your account. So a couple things just that I'm going to call out on this and things you should be looking for. So the first thing is in the subject line of this email, it had Netflix, but if you look very carefully, the X at the end of Netflix, cause Netflix is spelled, is spelled N E T F L I X. Uh, the little X at the end of Netflix was funny looking. And that's because it was a Greek letter X. And the reason they did that is because a lot of spam filters would pay extra special attention to some of these things like PayPal and Netflix, because those are common email scams. So a lot of the uh, anti-spam and anti-malware services that are running on your email provider are looking for those things. And to get around some of those things, sometimes all they have to do is change a spelling in a way that the computer won't recognize as different or the computer will think is different, but the human will not think is different. So if you look very carefully, the little X at the end of Netflix and the subject line was, was off. And that's because it was this Greek letter X, like Greek alphabet. Um, and that spells a different word to a computer. That's not N E T F L I X. It's N E T F L I Greek X. So any of those things that would have been looking for Netflix and paying special attention to those emails would have skipped this one. Um, and then it, it, there's a button on there. It says, you know, takes you to a Netflix site to, and then of course it asks you to log in. Now you're already at a fake, at a fake Netflix site. Uh, and it's asking you to log in. And then eventually it, once you log in, it says, and, uh, well, actually let me, let me get to that in a minute. So you go to the Netflix site and it looks, looks just like Netflix. Cause you, it's very easy to replicate a website as far as look and feel you can make, there's nothing to prevent you from just downloading all those images and making your own website that looks just like Netflix, except it's your, it's your website, not theirs. And what a lot of people look at is, oh, hey, there's a little, there's a green lock icon up there. That must be, that must mean it's good. One of the key things I want to get to you today is that green lock icon. All that means is that your communications between you and that website are encrypted. That's it. It doesn't mean that you're not talking to a bad website. It just means that you're having an encrypted conversation with the website. So there's a, there's a really great project by Google called let's encrypt. And, and one of the barriers to a lot of um, websites implementing this encrypted traffic, this HTTPS, S meaning for secure, that's the thing that gets you the green lock icon um, was cost. Uh, all these companies were charging for these certificates that, that would allow you to have this encrypted communication. So a lot of companies are like, yeah, I don't need that. My, my communications don't need to be encrypted. And because of the cost, a lot of, a lot of them didn't do it, but there's still plenty of reason to have it encrypted, uh, besides just privacy. Um, if you don't have it encrypted, anybody between you can actually act as a man in the middle and compromise the traffic. And it, there's all sorts of bad things that can get up to. We should all be using HTTPS. And so Google, uh, came out with this great project called let's encrypt, uh, that offers free certificates. Um, and th thankfully to that, there's been many, many websites now that are, that are moving from HTTP to HTTPS communications, which is fantastic. However, what that means is all the bad guys can get free certificates too. So these websites that are putting up these phishing websites want to look as official as possible. And they know that a lot of people see that green lock icon up in the browser bar and like, oh, well, that's, it's must be, must be legit. It doesn't mean it's legit. That's if there, you take away one thing from today, Know that when you see that lock icon, it does not mean that the, that the website you're talking to is legitimate. All it means is that you are talking to that website over an encrypted channel, which is good, <laughs> but it doesn't say anything about the, the veracity or the, um, 
the quality of the website that you're talking to. Okay, so back to our story, Netflix phishing attack. So you go to this fake Netflix page and it looks all official with the green lock icon. So first you log in. So now now this bad website has your Netflix login credentials. Well, okay, maybe you don't care about that. But the next thing it does is saying, uh, listen to this very carefully. Here's a quote from the website and it says, you need to confirm your information's to be able to fix this problem and access to your account Netflix. Okay, so there's your next tip. The grammar was bad. <laughs> they, they blew a couple different things in that one sentence. So you should all be trained to look at those things and say, wait a minute, <laughs> that's not right. And most of these websites, it's not that these websites can't make grammar errors, they can, but they're usually pretty good about not doing that. So as soon as you start seeing grammar errors and spelling errors on some of these websites, you should start getting suspicious. So anyway, so the next thing it does is it says you need to enter your credit card info to fix this problem. And of course, now they've got your credit card info. So anyway, long story short, there's a yet another attack going around. They're going around all the time anyway, but I'm bringing it up because it's a good teachable moment uh, in terms of some of these items that like whether you see a lock icon or not, what that means and how to spot some of these fake emails and fake websites. All right, next up, there's a, uh, a Mac OS bug going around. Uh, they do happen. A lot of people you know, say, oh, Macs don't get viruses. That's not true at all. Uh, Macs are definitely getting viruses and they're definitely targeted. Um, you know, Windows is probably more targeted just because there's so many more of them out there. Uh, the bad guys tend to go where the money is. Um, but Mac OS is targeted as well. And I think a lot of times people with Macs think that, you know, are lulled into fake sense of uh, security. Uh, Macs are vulnerable too. So, uh, but the delivery mechanism for these things is pretty much all the same. They have to trick you somehow into installing malware. Uh, if you don't, you know, if you don't allow yourself to be tricked, then they're out of business. This particular one is called OS 10 slash Mammy, Mammy, M-A-M-I. I don't know how you would pronounce that. I don't even know what it comes from, but they come up with weird names for these viruses. Um, so anyway, it's called OS 10 M-A-M-I however you pronounce that. And what this particular malware does, uh, does a few things actually. Um, but it changes your DNS servers and it installs some root certificates. So if you recall when we talked about DNS, when we talked about quad nine, for example, this was something we covered a while back. DNS, the domain name service, uh, what it, whenever you go to anywhere on the internet, when you go to google.com, amazon.com, yahoo.com, when you go to these websites and you enter those host names that, you know, human readable uh, names, your computer actually has to look that up and find out what the internet address of that is, the IP address of that website. So it uses a service called DNS, and that's usually provided by your internet service provider by default. You don't you don't have to set anything up; it's just done automatically. So let's say you're on Comcast and you're at home on your computer, and you say Google.com and you hit enter in your web browser. Well the first thing your computer does is it looks up google.com to find its IP address and it uses DNS to do that. Um, and again, that was configured probably automatically by your router and your ISP and you didn't have to do anything. It just had just magic. Um, and then what, then what comes back is an IP address and then your web browser actually talks to the Google server because it needs that IP address. That's how the internet works. It, it needs these IP addresses to route all their messages. It doesn't work on google.com. It's got to transfer that to, you know, 10.52.25.138 or not, or 128. So um, what this malware does is it actually changes your DNS server. So what that means is Every single website that you go to, when you say, show me google.com, this rogue DNS service, which is now, it's now taken over your, your default DNS and sent it to theirs, can send you anywhere at once. You say, I want to go to google.com and it sends you to some Russian hacking site 
that looks like Google.com, and it might, it might have a little green lock icon, but it's not Google.com. Um, so that's obviously horrible. At that point, they can they can change anywhere you want to go, and they could send you to somewhere else. Uh, so that's that's obviously bad. The other thing uh, with installing the root certificate means is that and this is kind of highly technical, but the certificates are what allow you to kind of identify and talk to the far end party and know that know who you're talking to. Uh, is the person you, they say they are. Uh, but if I've, if I could install a fake root certificate, I can, I can forge all of those. So, uh, again, I can create a fake Google website that looks just like Google, that is encrypted just like Google, or I could send you to Google and get in the middle between you and Google and pretend to be Google or pretend to be PayPal or pretend to be eBay and intercept all of your encrypted traffic. Uh, it's called a man in the middle attack. So this is actually really bad. This is obviously at the fundamental level of your, of your computer's uh, internet protocol, of your computer's internet communications. So it gets right in there and, and, and wedges itself in and basically puts itself between you and the internet, and you may never be the wiser. So uh, this this malware, um, a lot of the antivirus products were, were missing it, but they're currently being updated. So just make sure that if you do have an antivirus product that you're keeping it up to date, if you'd like to try one out, uh, in the past, I've recommended you just use for Windows, just use the one that's built in. Use Microsoft uh, Security Essentials or, or Windows Defender. Those are great. Just use those built in. Hopefully, they'll be up to date. Uh, on a Mac, um, it has some minimal stuff built in they don't really talk about. But if you want to add something to that, I would look at like a, the Sophos Home free version or a Virus uh, free version for Mac. Uh, and finally, another one you could look at is called Malware Bytes. It's also very good. Um, you can check that out. But if you uh, for this particular malware, if you want to see if you've been infected, here's how you find out. Uh, on a uh, on a Mac, uh, and again, this is this particular one is only for Mac. So on a Mac, you go to System Preferences, which is up under your Apple menu. Open System Preferences, find Network, open that up. There's a little button there that says Advanced. You might have to unlock. You might have to enter an admin password to be able to access that. Um, if there's a little lock in the lower left corner of that screen, that's why. Um, so you'll have to click that lock to um, enable that and then click on advanced. And then there's a like, I don't know, five little tabs or something under advanced. And so one of them is DNS. Look under DNS. Uh, the value there for your DNS, if it's one of these two values, then you've been hacked. 82.163.143.135 or 82.163.142.137. So they're all the same except the last two digits, or actually the last digit. Um, so 135 or 137, if for some reason, and I doubt you probably do this, but if for some reason you see those two, then you've been hacked by this. Um, and I would make sure, uh, what well, at that point, what I would do is I would download and install malware bytes and have it run. And hopefully malware bytes will find it and fix it for you. Um, if not, you'll, uh, you can at least for, you'll still want to get this thing uninstalled. So keep checking malware bytes and some of the other free antivirus to see if they could find it and root it out for you. Uh, but you can, at this point, change those DNS entries yourself, and I would recommend that you use Quad9. So you uh, there should be a little minus button right there. You can click on the, each of those two DNS entries and click minus minus to delete both of them, uh, and then add back 9.9.9.9. Uh, uh, so that'll mitigate at least the DNS part of that. The root certificate part, that's a little harder to do on your own. So I would, again, I would rely on the malware uh, antivirus stuff to get that for you. Okay, next topic. There's been another Intel chip bug. Um, I'm telling you, this is going to be the year of chip bugs, um, hardware bugs. 
Um, we've, it's not that there won't be more software bugs, but I think all the bad guys are focusing on the, uh, on the hardware now because it is so hard to fix. If you find these bugs, uh, in a lot of cases, the only way to fix the product is to throw it out and buy a new one. And then, but you've got to wait till they make a new one that is not also infect or not also have these vulnerabilities, which could take years in some of these cases. So if, if I was a bad guy, I would totally be looking for these kind of bugs. So Intel's been getting in a lot of trouble lately, and one of the things they've been getting in trouble for is this thing called AMT, which is their active management technology. And this is mostly on corporate machines. Um, so this would be like your work laptop. Um, it's something that they put in there. It's like a kind of a it's a special area within their chip, a backdoor for IT. So it's a supposedly only a backdoor for good people, but as I've said many times on this show, you can't make a door that only good people can go through. So you know, backdoors are just a bad idea, and and they have not well documented this. It's a very proprietary thing uh, because they want to keep it close to the vest. But when the bad guys find it, it's all over. That's why backdoors don't work. That's why magic keys don't work because as soon as it gets out, everybody's compromised instantly. Um. Anyway, let me just read a little clip from this article from uh, the Hacker News. Quote. Finnish cybersecurity firm F-Secure reported unsafe and misleading default behavior within Intel Active Management Technology, AMT, that could allow an attacker to, attacker to bypass login processes and take complete control over a user's device in less than 30 seconds. AMT is a feature that comes with Intel-based chipsets to enhance the ability of IT administrators and managed service providers for better controlling their device fleets, allowing them to remotely manage and repair PCs, workstations, and servers in their organization, unquote. So basically, and this is just a, one of the biggest security no-nos possible, they've got this backdoor, and there's a way to get through this backdoor with a default password. And so if you're a corporation has these laptops or if for some reason you bought yourself an enterprise grade laptop for your personal business that might have this AMT feature enabled, anybody can walk up to your laptop. Now, of course they'd have to distract you, right? Or somehow convince you to use their laptop or, Hey, look over there. Or, or you went to the bathroom or I don't know, they've got to somehow trick you into getting physical access to your laptop. So that's, you know, there's that, uh, they can't do it just over the internet. Uh, but once they get access to your laptop, within 30 seconds, all they got to do is reboot it, enter this default password for this special backdoor, and they can turn on all these options that will then let them come back later and hack your machine remotely. Now, from what I've read, they still have to be on the same network as you. So like the way this might go down is let's say you're in a coffee shop here at Starbucks. Um, someone's watching you in your laptop and they're waiting for you to, to leave your laptop unattended. You get up, you go up to get a napkin or you go up to get a new refill on your coffee. And while you're away, this guy comes up, reboots your machine and enables these things and then goes back to his table. And now while you're both sitting there on Starbucks Wi-Fi, he has now opened up that back door and he can get in there and totally compromise your machine. So hopefully Intel is learning from this. Hopefully we are all learning from this. These backdoors and these special proprietary mechanisms that we try to leave in place to do these fancy things are prime, prime targets for hackers. And and in particular, when it's a hardware bug, when the hackers, you know, figure out a way to hack that, it's game over. Um, so, okay, in this particular case, what you want to do is, you know, if you've got a corporate laptop you're worried about, talk to your IT guys. Make sure that they that they have read this, uh, read about this, um, this AMT bug. 
Uh, you can you know take them off to the Hacker News or whatever and have them look at this. It's for, again, it's from F-Secure. So if you search on Intel, F-Secure, and AMT, you'll probably find it. Um, and they need to change the default password on this on this AMT interface uh, to make sure that someone else can't hack into it or disable the feature entirely. Um, that's that's your mitigation at this point. And now, if you've got a regular laptop, it's this this feature is probably not enabled. Uh, they'll realize that Intel chips are used in just about everything. They're used in both Apple products and all the Windows uh, type products. So this could affect everything. But uh, my understanding is Apple doesn't Apple does not enable this, um, and uh, it should only affect like corporate or enterprise grade laptops, um, not your average Joe laptops. All right, our last story today. Uh, there's a report by Google. Um, actually, the, the, this came from Naked Security, of course, one of my favorite uh, security blogs, who talked about uh, a, a Google talk that, that somebody gave. And that representative from Google, when talking about two-factor authentication, said that it's been available for seven years on Google products. Uh, you, could, you could have enabled two-factor authentication seven years ago on your Gmail, on your Google Calendar, Google Docs, or all these things. But to date... Only 10% of Google users actually enable it. So that brings us right into our tip of the week. And that is use two-factor authentication. So let's back up. What is two-factor authentication? We've talked about it before, but you're, when you log into to some service, so you log into your Gmail, you log into your bank online, um, you've got a user ID and a password. Uh, so that's one factor. That's something you know. It's a password. Uh, so you're authenticating these guys. You're proving that you are who you say you are, that you are you by saying, I know a secret that only I should know. And that's my password. Now, you know, that's okay, especially if you've got really good, strong, unique passwords, like ones that you could generate from LastPass or Password Manager. So if you've got really good, strong, unique passwords, ones that you even can't remember because they're so crazy, uh, but you have your password manager fill in for you, that's you know, that's good. That's a good first thing. It's, it's, it's the bare minimum we should all be doing. Um, but a lot of, uh, companies, because people are so bad with passwords, uh, they write them down, they pick ones that are too easy to guess, uh, or even through no fault of your own, the, the, the site is hacked and the bad guys pull all the password databases out and then they start going through and they crack, start cracking these passwords. Um, so there's lots of different ways that even this password based mechanism can fail. And currently today, the best mechanism we have is to add a second factor, to add a second thing that you have to do to prove who you are. So that if your password is hacked, if someone guesses your password or it gets hacked or you pick a really bad password and they figure it out, there's one other thing that they've got to do to get into your account. So that's called two-factor authentication. There are two things that you have to do to prove who you are. Um, and the most common way to do that is this two-factor authentication. It's some sort of an extra pin or a code that you have to enter uh, in addition to your password. So you'd go to the website, you'd log in with your user ID and password, and then it would come back and say, hey, I've never seen you on this computer before. This is this looks a little suspicious. So because I've, I don't recognize the computer you're logging in from or the location you're logging in from, I want you to do something more to prove that you are who you say you are. And that is a two-factor thing. So I'll say, okay, enter your two-factor authentication code. So there's a few different ways that two-factor authentication is done. And let's start with the worst one. But unfortunately, it's also the most common one. 
and that is through text messaging. So you go to this website who says, hey, guess what? We've got two-factor authentication, so sign up here and give me your mobile number. And so now when you log into log in from a website that we don't recognize that looks new or different or suspicious, uh, we're going to send you a text message. And that text message is going to have a one-time pin code that you enter to prove that you are who you are, which basically says is you're going to give me your mobile number. And then I'm going to, we're going to say that if you know your password and you have access to my mobile phone, then I'm going to believe that you are who you say you are. So that's two factors. You need to know the password and you need to have your mobile phone so that you can receive this special one-time pin number. Now, the problem with SMS and text messaging is that that's really not secure. There's all sorts of ways that hackers have figured out ways to get your text messages. Uh, for instance, they could go into your uh, cellular provider and say, oh, gee darn, I lost my phone. This is my phone number. Can I get a new phone? And they and if you if they can convince them that, that they are you, then they give you a new phone. They pop a SIM card in there, and that phone has the same phone number as your phone. Um, they have programmed that phone to be the same as you. So now, if they've got if they can copy or clone your phone, whenever you get a text message, they get a text message. So there's that. Uh, second, the whole text messaging infrastructure, the the system that that sends text messages, has been around for decades. Uh, and it's really not secure. It's called SS7, and the hackers have figured out a ways uh, to hack Signaling System 7 uh, as well. So it's better than nothing. If that is your only option, I would still say do it. It's better than nothing. Uh, but if there are other options, you should take them. So the the next, next best option, and it's the one I recommend for most people, um, is to use an authenticator app. And it's a it's a one time time based password, so and this is really pretty cool. So what you do is you whip out your phone, uh, and the the easiest app to use, the one I recommend for most people, is called Google Authenticator, and it's a generic app. It's not just for Google; it's for Google and everybody else that that supports this um, this technology. So what they'll do is you'll say, "Yes, I have Google Authenticator. I want to use my Authenticator app." And what they'll when you're signing up for two factor authentication, it says, "Okay, you want to enable two factor authentication. You have." Uh, a Google Authenticator app or something like it, here is a QR code that you can scan. And then it brings up one of those square uh, QR codes. It looks, it's kind of like a two-dimensional UPC code. Uh, and then you bring the your Authenticator app up on your device and, it, and you say, I want to scan in a new code. And so you you say, I want to add this, I want to add this code to my Google Authenticator, and then it brings up a camera, and then you just point your camera at that QR code, and it scans it, and bam, you're set. Um, and so it does, it's a syncing mechanism. So it syncs up your application with uh, your Google Authenticator app, it syncs that up with the service you're trying to set up two-factor two authentication with. Okay, let me back up and do that one more time. So you'll go to Let's say Google. Uh, Google offers offers this service. So you go go to Google and you go to your privacy and security settings and you say, "I want to enable two-factor authentication." And it says, "Great. Uh, what kind of uh, authentication do you want to do? Do you want to do text-based, you know, SMS-based?" And you say, "No." And they say, "Do you want to use an authenticator app?" And you say, "Yes." And you and you so you select that option, and then it'll give you a QR code to scan. And then you bring up on your mobile device the Google Authenticator app. And then you say, I want to add, um, I want to add an account. And when you do that, you say, how do you want to add it? Do you want to enter a number manually or do you want to scan a code? And you say, I want to scan a code. So you hit the scan a code and it brings up your camera. Now you just point your camera on your phone at your computer that is showing the QR code. 
and then it, it, it takes a picture of that and it syncs up and now you're set. And so to prove that it's working, it'll say, okay, good. We're synced up now. Enter the code that's on your phone. And so now your Google Authenticator app for every one of the services you've done this for, and you could, I've got probably a dozen of mine. Um, there's this rolling six digit pin code and it changes every, I think 30 seconds. And so it'll say, now that we're in sync, enter the code that's on your device. And so it'll be a six digit code that lasts for 30 seconds. You enter it and you say enter. And, and if you enter a right code, you're good to go. Uh, and it should just work. So now what that basically means is you've got an application on your phone that is perfectly in sync with the service that you're trying to protect in this case, Google. So Google has a timer running and your device has a timer running and they're in perfect sync so that whenever you go to log in from a new or suspicious device and it challenges you and says, um, what is your two factor authentication code? You, you bring up the app and you find the service that you're trying to authenticate with in this case, Google, and you find that code and you enter that code. Now, uh, as I said, the codes expire every 30 seconds. So they've actually got a little timer on there that shows you how much longer that code is good for. And as it gets close to the end, it'll actually turn red, uh, indicating that, Hey, this is about to expire. Either use it really quick or wait for the next code. Um, and I usually just wait. Uh, so I wait for the next code to come in and then, and then it comes up and that code is going to last for 30 seconds. Now I've got a good 30 seconds to enter that code. So I, and I do. Uh, and because your phone is in perfect sync with the server on the other end, it's generating the same time-based codes. So when you enter the code and it checks that it matches its code, you're good to go. So that is Google Authenticator. There are other applications like Google Authenticator that you could look at. Um, I personally like Google Authenticator. The other one that you might look at is called uh, LastPass itself. Uh, the password manager also has an Authenticator app. Um, and it's got a couple nice features that you might think about. Uh, they all work the same way. Uh, uh, LastPath Authenticator and Google Authenticator aren't just for those products. You can use them for other services as well. So Twitter and uh, PayPal and your bank and anybody else who supports this, you could use that same app for these two-factor two authentication codes as well. Um, and it, they all do it the same way. They bring up the QR code, you scan it, and you're synced. Um, LastPass has one too. One of the nice things about LastPass, and I think Google has this on some things it does too, uh, it actually has this interesting little mechanism where when you've been challenged to put in a two-factor authentication code, it tells the app that, and somehow it brings up this button that just says, okay. And that, that seems like it shouldn't be secure, but I, I think it is. So um, in those cases, instead of having to look up the code and type in the code, all you have to do is look it up, the, bring up the app, and it should have a little button there saying, okay. And you just hit that and you're synced up. So I know long story, uh, but, uh, that is probably the best way for most people to go. Uh, and you should be able to enable two factor authentication wherever you can. Uh, there are many, many sites that are doing it now. There's a great website called, uh, two factor auth.org. That's T W O F A C T O R A U T H.org two factor auth.org. Um, that site actually is collecting all the various places that are, uh, that have enabled two factor authentication. So you can kind of get a look and see whether some of your favorite services do. You need to be using this on uh, your email for sure. I know people think, you know, why email? Why do I care if people get into my email? Well, whenever you have a password reset for your bank or your, any of your other important accounts, those password resets are usually sent via email. So if someone has access to your email account, they could actually go change your bank password for you. And uh, that would not be good. So email, obviously LastPass or your password manager, if you're, um, whatever password management system you've got, you should definitely set up two-factor on that. 
uh, any financial and medical account websites you have set two factor on that. Um, I know it's a pain, but really it's, uh, it's the gold standard. So a really strong, unique password that's generated by a password manager plus two factor authentication is, is the gold standard currently, unfortunately for locking down your accounts uh, until we come up with something better. That's what we're stuck with. Um, I will mention one more thing, and this is something I meant to review on the, the show at some point. Um, if you want to get super, super secure, um, there's this thing called a YubiKey. It's a hardware key. It's a little USB key that uh, that you authenticate with instead of having the Authenticator app. Personally, I think it's kind of a pain in the butt, um, so I've never really done it. But if you really want to get super secure, look up a product called a YubiKey. Y-U-B-I-Key. Well, key, Y U B I K E Y, um, and you can look into that. It costs money. You got to buy the hardware key, but you only have to buy it once. Uh, and they're they've got different kinds of keys. Some are Bluetooth. Some have a little fingerprint reader. Uh, but the idea is, you stick this thing in your um, in a USB port on your computer. Um, you authenticate with the key, um, and then uh, the key helps you get these pin codes. Um, so you know, anyway. That's supposedly more secure, and uh, if you want to, if you want to lo- really lock it down, you could look in something like that. Personally, I would just look at Google Authenticator uh, or LastPath Authenticator for your apps and go that route. All right, and that's going to wrap it up for this week. We had a lot of great info this week. Uh, tune in, of course, next week. We'll have another news show. We'll, I'll bring you up to date on all, all the latest and tell you what you can do to mitigate or eliminate these threats. Um, I've got an interview coming up. I really hope I'm going to get it out next week. I need to get it edited, but uh, I need to get the interview with uh, Nick Weaver from Berkeley. Really fun interview uh, talking about Bitcoin. So hoping to get that out next week before next week's news show. Um, so stay tuned for that as well. And uh, as always, you can find more information on my website, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Uh, a lot of great resources for you there, including my blog and my weekly newsletter. If you want to get a tip of the week every week uh, delivered to your mailbox. Uh, you might also please tell your friends and family about these things as well. Uh, of course, there's the book, which you can get on Amazon, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. And uh, if you'd like to kind of help me on my quest, on my personal mission to educate as many people as possible and spread the word, uh, head over to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search for Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons for more information on how you can um, support me in my quest to educate everyone about security and privacy. And that's going to wrap it up. Uh, Thank you again for listening. Great talking to you. And uh, as always, don't get caught with your drawbridge down. Until next week, take care.